Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast, where we talk to industry leaders on how they grow revenue, how they get leads, how they create sales, because the blood of any business is sales. And there's lots of companies that have great salespeople, but no qualified leads. I mean, uh, the system can be broken in many places, but I know someone, someone that can help out. Today, I have the privilege of having uh, William Wang. He is the chief marketing strategist for Growth Labs. Will, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, can't, can't wait to dive into this. Brilliant. So, you know, the top of the funnel is where we need to get leads coming in. And let's start there. If you've got somebody coming to you, uh, starting a brand new business, why don't you pick what that business could be? And we'll use that as the example throughout the show. And then let's talk about sure. how you'd find their target audience, how you'd get leads. And let's build this company from, let's say, zero to uh, $10 million over the course of the next few years. Take it away. Yeah, sure. So that's uh, that's obviously a very broad category there. So let's, why don't we use um, a, a B2B software business as an example, just because okay, it's top brilliant. of mind and I can pull out some numbers. Um, what I find is that obvi- obviously this is a sales podcast. We're going to talk about sales. And one of the things I always find is across <sighs> different levels of revenue for a business, you start to get this kind of angst between sales and marketing, right? Sales are always like, leads suck. And marketing's like, no, you're not working the leads properly. So I think for me, you know, it's been really interesting to see some of my clients on their journey from zero to um, up to 50 or $100 million a year. And I think the way I, I like to break it down is depending on where you're at, the salesperson or the salespeople, I should say, is going to be very different at those levels. So at zero, it should really be the founder as the salesperson, right? No one's going to evangelize a product as much as them. No one's going to have the passion and the drive or even understand what it is they're trying to do like the founders will. So at that point, it's literally the, the founders going out and pounding on people's doors, finding out if people want to solve the solution they're trying to solve for. And this is where, you know, marketing at Top of Funnel doesn't really matter so much at the very beginning because literally it's how do we get sales? Go straight for the bottom of the funnel. Talk to people who you think are your ideal clients or the theory that you've got because obviously when you actually go to market and do the marketing, that might change. But at zero, as a founder, you've just got to do what doesn't scale. And that means having a conversation or a sales conversation every single day as a minimum. Uh, so that's Brilliant. obviously at the very beginning. So yeah. let's and say then, you've got uh, yeah. the business started and you've got $100,000 in revenue, you got some uh, programmers, you got the chief sales guy who's the owner, and now it's like, okay, we need to hire a few more salespeople and maybe get marketing involved as well, set up a marketing department. Take us to that stage. Yeah, that's where you have to start really aligning the culture between sales and marketing. So the best companies I've seen that I've worked with, you know, they, these unicorn companies, um, but here both in Australia, as you can probably tell from the accent, I'm Australian, uh, both in Australia and also in, in the US, the unicorns that we've worked with who have gotten funding hit hyper growth and just really scaled really, really quickly. What the founders or the investors or the advisors, whoever, whoever it is, what they've been really good at is holding the marketing and the sales team really, really closely together. So the analogy is, uh, well, the analogy I like to use is kind of like you've got two magnets and I've got a bunch of magnets here. It's kind of like, you know, if you have opposing forces, you're going to have to work really, really hard to get them close to each other and they're never going to, uh, you know, and they're never going to attract. But if you flip it around the right way, uh, you have magnets that just magnetize to each other. So as a founder or an investor or an advisor, I believe the best ones I've seen, they've been able to switch it around so that sales actually want to talk to marketing and marketing actually want to talk to sales. So that becomes a a cultural thing. So from my point of view, I think actually 
sales belongs within marketing. Like marketing is the superset and sales is a subset of it. And so marketing needs to take the responsibility of we understand the market, we understand the customer, and this is the solution that they want. This is how they want to be sold. Mm. Sales guys, gals go in and sell it in this way. And either they're successful or they're not. So let's say they are successful. Mm. Everyone's happy. And then Martin comes back in and says, okay, how do we continue the relationship? How do we deepen into the account? And the tip of the spear is sales. But let's say sales is not successful. Then it's Martin's job with sales to diagnose what the issue is and resolve it. But in most companies, like you said, it's uh, sales on one side and marketing on the other, and the finger of blame is going back and forth. Your leads <laughs> suck, and then marketing is not, they're like, you suck. And <laughs> so, yeah, it takes a strong leader to come in and align everything. So, let me ask you this question. In hopes of doing that, they've got this title called the Director of Sales and Marketing. Mm. And in theory, that's a good idea, but I'm not sure it's a good idea in practicality. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've seen it work really badly <laughs> in interest. Yeah, me too. Uh, often yeah, than not. Yeah, more often than not. But I've also seen, you know, um, uh, so titles like like head of growth, um, head of sales and marketing. I, I think it takes a certain person who's worked across both disciplines to really, you know, and also know how to manage a team. So it's almost, it's about the hire and the person itself rather than the role. I, I do see the role being one that can be very successful for a company. Um, but you know, the person directing it, it's hard. If, if, if she or he has a bias towards one way or another, that's yes, always going to be a, a difficult. Exactly, exactly. So it's going to be someone who's uh, had experience across both, who's been a salesperson and who's also been a marketing person and has seen on both sides of the fence what it actually looks like because it's rarely ever one or the other. It's it's rarely ever marketing completely sucks and the funnel sucks or that you know sales completely sucks. There's always It's always in between, right? The leads might not be perfect, but the salespeople don't really know how to work the leads and then the feedback doesn't go to marketing. It's all, almost always a combination of the two sides not fulfilling their full potential. Uh, so to have that person at the very top across both teams, they've got to really have solid experience in both disciplines uh, to be able to impartially find where, where the leakage is actually happening. So a couple of things come up is the first thought that comes up is uh, they have ride-alongs with the police. If you're part of the community or an organization, mm. you can ride in a cop car for like a night or a day or whatever. And that opens your eyes to the reality of policing as opposed to sitting in your office and judging what's going on. And it almost seems like what we need to do is to get some of our marketing people to go out on sales calls and actually observe what happens <laughs> there in front of a customer and really get a, oh my God, okay, this is what it's like. And on the other side, I think sometimes marketing is sitting in their offices, thinking up these things, and it would be really good to have a salesperson in the mix with them saying, that sounds good, but think about this. And I think that cross-pollination really gets uh, a much stronger organization and there's much better understanding. And also when there's an issue that comes up, you've got bridges built between the two departments. So it's not like it's your fault. It's like, how do we solve this together? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you can actually outthink the competition. Yeah, I mean, one, one, you know, one of my favorite things to do as, as a marketer who gets brought into companies and as a copywriter who gets paid uh, you know, to write things that sell. Uh, I don't actually speak to marketing teams too much when I get started. I want to speak to sales because sales are the ones on the front line talking to the customers, handling the objections. They get to hear what people are unsure about. They, they get to, you know, just really get to the core of it and talk to the customers day in, day out. And they're the ones with, with the golden nuggets that the, the marketing team or even, you know, an outside agency can really pick from and go, oh, this is really interesting. Um, tell me more about this. So with all the marketing that we build, I actually start from sales. And so I think it's it's almost crucial if you have already got an established sales team or an established marketing team to have new members from each team second or do a stint with the other team during their induction period. I think that's, that's super important to actually get things right. So Will, let's say you have a, a company with an app that's designed for salespeople on the front line. And what it's designed to do is keep them in the right mindset, no matter what's going on in the day. So if they're feeling like they don't want to pick up the phone, they can listen to a track that'll program to pick up a phone. Or if they feel oh. like uh, a lot of salespeople don't ask for the order and they're going in, they can just mm. listen to a track that will force them 
to ask for the order all freaking day long. It'll just program their mind. So if we were launching that to sales departments, the CEOs going out, knocking on doors, what does that look like? Like, where would you send them first? Would it be like the auto industry, real estate? Where would you find a bunch of salespeople that could potentially buy this thing? Oh, that's such a great question. I love that question. Um, because in, in reality, you know, because I'm also doing sales for my, for my business, I've already got that. I've, I've already got that that set of tracks that I listen to where it's like, I'm not feeling it, but I need to put food on the table. <laughs> listen to this and let's go close. Um, you know what? I think there's two ways of thinking about this, right? For me, the first way is who needs this the most? Like what are the most, I don't know if cut is the right word for it. What are the most competitive industries that a salesperson right. can work in? And yes, real estate, definitely. Uh, yes, the auto industry, definitely. Stocks. Insurance. Stocks, financial services, all of those industries where you've got to be on your game to make money. And if you don't get the sale, you don't get paid. Those would be, I would do an outreach campaign into those industries, into salespeople, get them on a trial, and then turn them across to, to paying customers. You know, if that's one way to, if that's a very generalized way to do it. Uh, we can dive into a little bit more in detail. Uh, the second way, so, action number two is just to run ads to it and let the salespeople come to you and self select. Right, run a Facebook ad, run a LinkedIn ad, target people who have got interest in sales and say, hey, I've got this um, this performance track that's helped all of my salespeople go out there and crush it. See if this helps you too. And people are going to self-select and go, oh, I'm a salesperson. I, I need this. Sure. You know, we'd love, to, we'd love to have a crack it's, at this. We've all had days where we're the down days. And kind of what, uh, at least from my point of view, I think if you take a look at all the days that are out there. So- for salespeople, my hypothesis is that maybe 5% of days in a year, and that's probably overreaching, is where you wake up and you feel unstoppable. You're just in the mood, and it's just like any any conversation, you're going to get a yes. Then you've got 80 days that you are going to be, 80% uh, of the days, you're going to be just average. And then there's probably 20 some odd days, 20% of the days where you're just going to be down in the dumps. And the question is, how do you take 80% yep. of the days and move some of them over into super mindset days and take some of the, a lot of the bad days and turn them into average days mm. is kind of where I think a solution like that would help is to get you more productive yep. days out of it. So would you say offering a trial is the best way? Hey, test it out for a week, test it out for a month. If you like it, buy it. Yeah. yeah. Before we get into that, I'm actually curious about one thing, Emma. What, what, what do you have on your track? Before we jump into that, and we can go into so deep because I love talking shopping numbers, but before we dive into that, I love mindset side as well. What would you have on, on your track, actually? What, what do you listen to? So what I listen to is, and I'm asking this question because I'm at some point in the near future launching an app like that, and what it's got is it's me showing people how to tap into the power of the mind. So it's not music to inspire. It's like taking you through a process. So I'll give you an example of one of the tracks. Mm. It's a lot of people come home, and when they come home, they're physically there, but not mentally there. They're still back at work, fretting about problems or what they're going to do tomorrow. And even the family dog can figure out, hey, dad's <laughs> not home. Uh, so <laughs> someone comes home, before they get out of the car, they listen to a track for six minutes, 44 seconds, and it gets them to release the stress for the day. It gets them to remember mm. the very first time they fell in love with a significant other, like feel it here. And then they walk into uh, the house with that loving, warm feeling, and they just show up differently, fully present with love in their hearts, even for the family pet. And so <laughs> my mission is to really change the world and make it a happier place. And uh, this has been a labor of love to kind of craft it. And I think salespeople need it the most in terms of, mm. you know, business is probably the strongest force for creating change for good that we have. Like certainly some businesses do bad things, but most businesses, they provide jobs, build communities, build nations. I'd heard this story once. It was uh, in uh, Israel where they're doing business with the uh, Palestinians. And when shit goes down, the Palestinians are protecting their partners because business is more important than not. <laughs> and it builds relationships. It builds strength. It makes the world a better place. So anyway, so I'll send you the app to play with. Let me know what you think. And so it's all designed to, if you're not feeling 
the magic today in seven minutes, you'll be freaking unstoppable. That is amazing. You know, with, with something like, like that, uh, first and foremost, it could be used so widely now, especially because people are actually working from home so much more. Like, like, for example, we used to have an office where all of my team used to go in and, you know, every single day when you leave the office, that was like a trigger of like, Hey, we're leaving work. Let's leave it at work. But yes. nowadays, you know, we, we work from home 90% of the time. The office is there, yep. but we rarely go into it. Only once a month when we have a big meeting, right? So nowadays, it's like when I finish work at what, whatever time it is, and I walk out of my room, it doesn't have the same triggering effect or the ha- habitual oh, effect yeah. of, hey, phone's down, work down, the kids are here, let's 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 go. Um, so I think that'll be super, super helpful. And with, with an app like that, you know, normally I'm 50-50 on trials. I think sometimes when you do trials, you get a lot of tire kicking. So, you know, sometimes if we can avoid a trial, I'll actively steer my clients to avoiding that and just going into like a, like a paid trial. So for example, pay me $7 for a month, but then after the first month, it's, 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 it's $30. But, you know, you could do, do it like that, or you can even give them a free trial for seven days. I think once people get into the habit of using it, they'll see the benefits and the beauty of an app like that, you know, of an app that you're building is that it's not just, hey, I'm going to take take your app, use it, and then I'm good for the rest of the year. No, as a salesperson, as a business owner, I know that it's a constant battle with where your money is going, right? This whole business sales thing, I truly believe it is such a mental thing. When you look at the top salesperson in a company, yes. versus the bottom salesperson in the company, what's the difference? Like, and it's not experience because some people just come in and they just blitz it. It's not experience. It's, it's, you know, yes, it's a little bit of product knowledge, but that's such a small percentage. The rest of it is the confidence, their focus, their drive, their determination, how hungry they are, you know, just how mentally prepared they are, the rituals, uh, the habits they've got. And for an app like that, I mean, you could absolutely change someone's life, you know, instantly by giving them the right habits to become a successful salesperson. So yeah, trial, get people on board and then charge them. And, you know, the value that you can create for a salesperson could be $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year, millions of dollars a year. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what you're putting out to the world versus the payment for an app, I mean, it's it's disproportionate in terms of value. So tell us about uh, one of your clients. You can change the name to protect the uh, innocent uh, and walk us through (laughs) what you did for them. So we get a really good sense of what you do for customers. Okay, cool. So um, I'm going to talk about one of my clients uh, here in Australia, but they are international now. So they're a unicorn story, recently raised about $500 million, um, yearly revenue of about 100 mil. And we were very, very, very fortunate with them by a massive stroke of luck to work with them at a very early stage where their team was significantly smaller. They had um, three or four salespeople. The marketing team was one, one and a half. So one, mm-hmm. you know, two people, one of them was kind of part-time in different departments. And so they just raised a lot of money. And so they turned around and said, look, we've got great brand reputation. We've invested a lot into our brand. We're growing organically, but we need to drive this forward. Like, what do we do? And so we work with them at the very beginning to lay out a plan, right? How do you hit these revenue targets and what strategies you need to, you need to use to do that? Um, and a lot of companies at the very early stage, because they don't have the background in marketing, they think they've got to do this fancy stuff, but it literally was about let's you know, send a bunch of cold emails, send really, really, really good cold emails. And I think if there's anything that we do well, you know, that we're world-class in, it's actually writing really good cold emails that people love getting and responding to. So that was the core of our strategy. Um, they were going on a massive hiring spree of salespeople. And as part of the KPIs from the sales team is that the marketing team sends a certain number of cold emails per salesperson. And the salesperson had to follow up with every single lead. So that was a major KPI across both teams. And that's how the teams got brought together because marketing were responsible for feeding sales and sales were responsible for getting back to marketing. Um, so that was, you know, core, core strategy number one. Core strategy number two was database building. So you don't need to get fancy with, you know, like 20-step funnels with fancy terms like tripwires and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It literally was about, Let's put some good value into the world and what do our customers want to learn? Even if it's got nothing or very little to do with what we're doing, let's give them value and get them onto our database and then talk about what we do well. Because eventually, if they want to do this big thing, they'll need our product to do it anyway. So even though our product is a very small part of their ultimate 
gold, right? It's still an important part. So why don't we help them with the big part and bring them back to the small part? So we ran LinkedIn ads for them, Facebook ads, Google ads. Uh, we built a bunch of landing pages, um, all of the, the, the typical marketing stuff. We just really simplified it and just did volume. So you know, when I first started my career as a marketer, I went after the fancy stuff. But nowadays, with the bigger companies we work for, the, you know, the growth rate that they're achieving, I truly believe it is about just doing the simple fundamental things really, really well and just doing more of it. And that's scale. So this client, they went from, I think when they started working with us, they were probably doing about um, you know, $10, $20 million revenue a year. And now they're just grown exponentially, $100 million revenue, you know, raised four, $500 million. Um, they've gone from strength to strength, but the underlying principles of the marketing and how they feed the leads has stayed the same. All right. So let's kind of step back on this. So you said cold emails. So you get an email list from a broker or do you guys generate it yourselves? We actually built everything in-house. Um, we've tried a whole bunch of brokerages. It's never worked well. The leads are either stale or they've been hammered 50,000 times. So we actually built uh, algorithm and code. And I've got a team of about you know 20 uh, people offshore that sit there and just actually put a human lens to, to the data that, that we're getting. So we actually build lists from scratch for every single client that we work with. Brilliant. So you've got this cold email and do you send them out one at a time or do you do like a, a MailChimp or an email marketing system? Yeah. So we actually use a system called quickmail.io um, and I wouldn't recommend using like a MailChimp or an active campaign or, yeah. or, or, or those type of systems because they are meant for, for warm leads coming in or leads that you've actually gone yeah. out and, and either purchased or brought in. Um, QuickMail is a brilliant system developed by, by a good friend of mine specifically for cold outreach. So what it does is um, it automates the process of you having to send the emails. You you put a, an Excel spreadsheet or a CSV into um, QuickMail with all the contacts you want and all the merge fields. So we actually really personalize every single email. But we put the personalization into the Excel spreadsheet and then we load the email templates that we want to send, right? So we load the sequences and put the fields in there and the system takes the information plugs into the emails. And so every single email that goes out, it's very personalized. And you know that's where we win, right? Like we get open rates of 80%, reply rates of 40% because we go so deep with the personalization, but the system helps, helps us automate the actual sending. So whether someone replies or we're getting out of office or they, they click unsubscribe, the system handles all of it. And we just focus on putting good leads into the system itself. And so does that go on your email address or do you have a, a temporary one? Because I know if you get too many unopens and stuff, it can start blacklisting emails. So how do you handle that? Yep. So we actually build our own email servers that we use for clients. Uh, so we've got clean email service sitting there that we keep a very close eye on. And whenever we've got a client come on board, we'll buy a separate domain for that client that looks very similar to, to their actual domain. And we'll uh, get the domain to send via our servers uh, out to the world. So that way we can control the quality of, of the emails being sent out. We can control the servers, make sure that you know they're not being blacklisted. Um, that's how we get as many emails into inboxes as possible. That's probably the most important thing. The number one thing for us is not getting into, into, into the spam folder, into the promotions tab. The more emails you can get into someone's actual inbox, the higher chance of success you'll have. So are you using plain text emails or do you put HTML and other fancy stuff in there? Uh, so we stay away from um, links and, 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 and images as much as possible. We do have sequences where it works really, really well. Uh, so for example, when we decode emails for ourselves, I like to push the boundaries. I like to be a little bit cheeky and I'll put GIFs in there and all this kind of fun stuff, but only on, you know, the third or the fourth or the fifth email in that sequence. The first and the second, we want to maximize email delivery. So we minimize the links and images because they tend to get flagged. Sometimes if you've got too many, they'll get flagged by, uh, by, 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 you know, spam bots or servers and things like that. And you won't get into inboxes, but, um, but the third email, if it hasn't got through already, why not try it? So, uh, even on the first and second email, you'd have at least one link to get them to where you want to send them, right? Uh, no. So, um, so we don't. So, when, when we do emails, my generally, generally, my primary objective is to get a reply. So to get a reply and say, yeah, sure, I'd like to get what you're talking about, you know, if it's a lead magnet, for example, or sure, I've got 10 minutes, I'm happy to have a chat, chat with your team. Um, I don't 
really like to send people off from the emails because it's harder to track what they do afterwards. So I tend right. to go straight for the reply from the email. And so you'd basically ask them, hey, just let us know what you'd like to do kind of thing at the end? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. The second thing you were talking about was, uh, you know, building that database and then certainly advertising on LinkedIn, Google, Facebook. So talk to me about LinkedIn advertising. Uh, how effective is that? And what's the strategy to best use it? Sure. So LinkedIn is expensive on the front end. And um, what I mean by that is, for example, if we're running a campaign um, and we're testing Facebook versus LinkedIn, if we're getting a lead for $3 to $5 on Facebook, it'll be triple to five times the amount on LinkedIn. So we would probably pay between you know, $9 to $25 or $30 for the same lead, uh, not the same lead, I should say, for a lead on LinkedIn. But the lead quality on LinkedIn is generally a little bit better than the lead quality on Facebook. Um, and we verify that by having sales teams behind it. So one of the most right. important things that we do is we've, we're actually building out a sales team that will help our clients book meetings. And what we're finding is when we call leads from Facebook, most of the time they don't pick up or, you know, sometimes they're like, I don't remember, like, who are you? Whereas on LinkedIn, we get a higher response rate, a higher pickup rate, a higher conversation rate. So even though you're paying more, the lead quality tends to be a little bit better on, on LinkedIn ads. Obviously, this is for, for B2B. If it's B2C, stick with Facebook. Facebook is still by far and large, you know, where you should be focusing a lot of your budget. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm kind of platform or channel agnostic. I go where the attention is. I don't really care. You know, it, it, I'm not tied to Facebook. I'm not married to the idea. We've got to be Facebook. We've got to be LinkedIn. It's like, where's your audience? Let's find your audience. Even if it's not on LinkedIn or Facebook, what newspapers are they reading? What um, websites are they browsing? Can we go and place a native ad on a website? I literally just go where I know our people are, and that's where we do the advertising. Brilliant. So one of the things I look for is uh, a phrase or uh, that's global. So one of the phrases that's global is they got different renditions of this, which is the cobbler son has no shoes. Uh, have you heard of this? <laughs> I have, yep. <laughs> so you guys are, uh, you know, uh, experts in marketing. So how do you become true to yourselves and you actually practice what you preach? Because it's so easy to focus on your clients and not uh, <laughs> not focus on yourselves. So how do you balance that? Uh, well, this is such a great question. And it's actually top of mind for me right now because, um, you know, we, we're, we're at the stage where we've grown very much through word of mouth, very much for organic and very much true to the principle of, uh, you know, uh, that, that phrase where we just haven't done any of our own marketing. But we're at the point where, you know, if we want to scale, if we want to keep growing, we have to focus on that. So that's been my, that's been my full attention over the past couple of weeks. Um, so I'll go into what we're doing in terms of our strategies, right? And I think what, we're, what we've got planned will probably help us to double um, this year uh, quite easily. So my thinking around this marketing, given what I've seen from clients and everyone else we work with, is that simplicity always wins. Simplicity and value and, and frequency equals scale. So what I mean by that is we're not doing fancy stuff for ourselves. We're not building, you know, all these funnels and stuff like that. It's just not what I want to do. We've got one funnel that we've built. And what it does is we've got um, a value on the front end, which um, I'm going to be putting up some email templates that people can download. So if, you know, if you're in the B2B space, Go get those email templates and then you'll see a page. Um, the next page would be, hey, thank you so much. Here's some extra resources, right? So I'm going to give them um, webinars that we've done in the past, other resources, you know, conversations I've had with mm -hmm. other people which are, which are interesting. And at the very end, it's like, if you want to have a conversation, here's my calendar, go and book in. But I don't push that heavily because, you know, the growth rate that we've got, we've got a certain capacity. We can't take on 50 clients a month because we, we just can't right. handle that. We've... So we've, I've actually purposely slowed played this. So for me, it's an exercise in, in database building. So every single month now, when they're on my email list, every single week, they're going to get an email from me, which is entertaining and educational, right? A good mix of both. We, we're going to run a webinar to our list only every single month. So we're not going to try and advertise outside of our list. Literally, this webinar is for the email list for my social media following. And that's it. And every once in a while, every month, I'll have an email that goes out and says, do you want me to work on your emails? We've got 
X number of capacity this month. If so, come have come through and have a conversation with me. So that's my entire marketing plan. We're going to do cold emails as well, but obviously cold emails with the purpose of building that same email list and driving value, building relationships, and just having a long-term view of how we're going to grow. I don't want a million conversations tomorrow. I want a million conversations spread over the next three to four years. Brilliant. So as you build that out, what are your thoughts on Facebook groups? Because this is the whole movement of, you know, build your pond, stock your pond, and fish in your pond. Thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think it's a nice to have. Um, when it comes to marketing tactics, what's working now, I've seen everything work. So I'll, you'll never hear me say, oh, that just doesn't work. Because someone out there has made it work. I think it always comes down to who your audience are, how they like to consume, what platforms they're on, and is it worth doing in terms of effort versus reward? So for myself, we're purposely not going to have a Facebook group because I know that the clients we're working with, you know, people who own 10, 20, 50, $100 million businesses, they're not likely to be on Facebook every single day. Right, uh, agreed. So, so I'd rather not go through and spend the time and effort doing that uh, because I just don't think the return is going to be there for us. And I don't want to have to have a full-time team member managing content, you know, managing engagement in the group because the people we're working with just aren't going to be, oh, yeah, let's jump into the group and pump each other up. They're already, like, they, they're going. They just need extra help, extra guidance in, like, here's how you tune your marketing. Um, so for me, it's not worthwhile doing. But that being said, I've seen clients we've worked with where we've built Facebook groups for them, and it's been phenomenal. Um, so it really comes back to do my people, would my people use something like this? Can I, you know, can I build a, a, a pond for my fish? I don't know. It's a weird way of saying it, but would my audience appreciate this? And if so, honest, you know, is it worth doing? And I think there's a matrix out there called the ice matrix, um, which is, uh, I, I, I don't remember what the I stands for now. Oh, no, sorry. Impact, uh, complexity. This is really bad. I should remember what it stands for. But ice, it's essentially, you look at the impact you know this action is going to have on your business, how complex it's going to be, how expensive, I think expensive, expensive or you know difficult it's going to be to do. And then you give them a number and you can rate it. So I'll recommend doing that for every single tactic you're thinking of. And for me, Facebook groups, we, we thought about it, but it just doesn't make sense in terms of the impact it has on the business. Brilliant. So I like the strategy of you know building the database, giving value. It's challenging not to put a link in because it's almost like a compulsion that we always do that. But I think doing the first two to just add value and see if they self-volunteer to come in. So you've been doing your business for how long? So I think this is, uh, we just ticked over our sixth year, I think. April is, is when I officially gave my notice and, and went full-time. Uh, so this is year number six for us. Brilliant. So if this will went back six and a half years ago to younger will, getting ready to start his business in six months. What one piece of advice would you give young Will that would actually make that journey easier? That's a good question. I might cheat and go two because the first thing I would say for myself, uh, and this might not apply for founders and, and business owners who are already in business, but the first thing I would say is just to stay in your corporate job a little bit longer. Um, mm -hmm. So I came from corporate IT, hated my job, was looking for any way to get out and you know, jumped a little bit too early. I think I could have cut two or three years off um, the path to where we are now if I just gritted my teeth and got through another six to 12 months. That would have been a lot faster because I would have made better decisions, had more money to reinvest into the business and grown it a lot faster that way. So I think the number one advice, just bear with it for another six months and just, you know, just grit your teeth, get through it. Um, and, and, and that's going to have an exponentially great effect going into the future okay um i think the second piece of advice i would have and you know this is something that i did well anyway but i think you know it just to reemphasize something that worked was just build a network and just talk to people not with the idea of selling to people but just the ideas are everything, right? The more you can learn about a market or an industry, the more markets and industry that you talk to and see, the more ideas you get. And the more ideas you get, the more opportunities come your way. And opportunities eventually lead to dollars. Um, so I think, you know, very early on, I went too far down the path of, I work with chiropractors, I work with 
this group, just because that's what the courses were teaching. Whereas if I just taking time and just, you know, giving myself another six months and just said, look, I don't know who I'm working with, but let me go and see who I actually genuinely like talking to and then go and figure out what problems they've got and then build a problem for that audience set. That would have been a much more effective way of, of doing that. Actually, thank you very much for sharing that because that also showed like a vulnerability of, okay, I didn't know what I was doing. And it kind of comes back to this evil word called patience, which is like <laughs> so important and so hard to do because in my psychology, it's like, okay, we're going to do this. Okay. Done enough thinking. Let's start executing. And oftentimes it's gone down a path that's been you know somewhat successful, but nowhere close to the effort that was put into it. And having that patience to really figure out where do we fit in, who can we help the most, uh, would have uh, served us better. And I think, uh, dear viewers and listeners, take this advice. And even if you're in a business right now, before you go down the path, treading water for a little while and rethinking the business, like a good example was that Facebook question I asked is like, you know, what's the uh, effort versus reward equation? And is that going to justify it? Because you can get seduced by the act of doing. The act of doing gives you mm. the illusion of accomplishment. And accomplishment in business is how much money you make for the shareholders. Yeah. I, I would also add to that. Um, I would say I think the, the best entrepreneurs and business owners I know, um, they figured out a way to balance that. Because I'll be a little bit careful about going too much to the other side as well. Because we, we I, I'm sure we both know people who are great thinkers and they, and they think and they think and they think. And then five years passes and all they've done is fought and they haven't taken action. Yeah. Um, one of my um, great friends and, and, and client of ours, um, you know, they've got an amazing business. Um, they, they, they help people outsource and, you know, they they run this amazing BPO, thousands of clients, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. One of the catchphrases, which has made a massive impact on me is massive and perfect action. Because, you know, for me, I, I was so low in confidence. I was a massive introvert. I needed that doing, right? Putting myself out there, talking to the people. I needed to do that before I did thinking time. Because if I didn't take the action, I would have scared myself. So I think it's that balance that you've got to find. But nowadays, I've gone too much the other way where I'll throw an idea and I'm like, hey, team, I'm executing this and it's done. And my team are like, oh my God, well, shut up. <laughs> you, yeah. you just gone way too far the other way. So it's almost about striking. But like at, at a certain stage, I think for me at the very beginning, if I know what I know now, it's easy to say, have patience and do this. But at the same time, looking back on it, I think I needed to take the massive imperfect action to have the confidence to, to do something with. Um, so a book that I really, that's really helped me understand this. It's, uh, it's a book, um, called, uh, the road less stupid by, by Keith Cunningham, who mm -hmm. was a billionaire, went bankrupt and built himself back to billionaire. So you know that he didn't float it. Um, and, uh, his whole premise is the idea of taking thinking time. So for me, it's like, I want to be able to do a thinking time session every single day, but off the back of the thinking time, I have to take action. Like I can't just think and then, oh, congratulations, pat myself on the back of thinking. No, you've got to take action off the back of your thinking and take action and do something, um, even if it's imperfect. Like don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of great. Um, and that's, that's something else that, you know, the balance between those two things, uh, I think is where you'll find su uh, success. Brilliant. Will, what makes you happy? Oh, I think for me, you know, it's, it's, it's a question I'm trying to figure out as well. Um, because in business, there's moments where, you know, obviously I wake up and I'm like, let's burn this to the ground. <laughs> I, I don't want to do this for another day. But then on some days I wake up and go, how did I get like, this is amazing. You know, it, it's, it's unreal. Like I'm living my dream life. I think for me, happiness is being able to move forward and seeing progress and being able to do the things that I'm good at. Um, not necessarily the things that I enjoy, but the things that I'm good at and also finding things that I'm not good at and seeing improvement. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question because, you know, it's, it's something that I've kind of not struggled with, but I've grappled with in, in my mind internally for the past year or so, especially as we've hit this level of success where, you know, it's like we live, I live an extraordinary life, 
but what am I trying to do? Like, what's the point of doubling the business? So it's yeah. something that I've been, I've been grappling with. And I think it is progress. I think it's a journey, enjoyment in the journey, not worrying about the numbers, but just surrounding myself with good people, doing great work for them, just seeing the progress in things that I'm good at and also that I'm not good at, I, I guess is my answer. Brilliant. So one of the areas of focus for me is this, is that ultimately at the end of the day, it's the more authentic you are as a human being, the more powerful you are in the world. The problem is most people don't know who they are, what their purpose is, and why they're here, and all those fundamental things that we take for, uh, it's not that important, or one day I'll figure it out. But I think what happens is when you uncover your purpose in life, it gives you a direction, and you can put a goal on that direction, and then every fiber of your being attacks that goal. Even if it's a crap day, you feel superb because you're doing what you're meant to do. The second Hmm. thing is our deepest values, and more importantly, the criteria that our heart and mind uses to validate whether we're actually fulfilling those values or not, knowing that gives you a rock-solid foundation that allows you to get the grit you need to keep on going. So you got purpose gives you direction and motivation. Values give you the grit to keep going. Then mm-hmm. is fundamentally finding those mental blocks that stops you from executing, finding and removing those, and then The last step is really igniting the passion within and realizing how can I get into my optimal mode. And the reason you can do it faster is you know where you're heading, you know where the goal is, you know your integrity, and you know all Mm. the, the fears and the limitations are gone. And this is how you get a good executive and make them like a freaking beast is not through external stuff. It's all internal. And I think that's one of the journeys that entrepreneurs and leaders need to go through and once they do that, there's a the business before and the business after that transformation. And it doesn't need to take a long time to do that. Any thoughts, comments on that mm. kind of hypothesis? Wow, that's really deep. Um, that's, you know, I, I haven't thought about it like that before. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I think it's it's a good framework for, for processing this because, to be honest, I think for me so far, and it's something I'm going to have to think about going into the future as we start hiring executives and building out our, our entire leadership team, um, it's, it's things like that, right? What's going to drive the rest of the leadership team? Because it's a lot easier when it's your business. Um, yes. Right? Because obviously, if you don't, if you lose motivation, you stop paying yourself. <laughs> That's a painful thing. Uh, whereas oh, yeah. when you start hiring executives and a leadership team, it's a little bit different. They've got a paycheck. How do you motivate them beyond? So that's a framework I'm going to have to, and I really like the framework that, that you've got. And I think I'm going to uh, uh, steal that and, and adapt that. But for me as, as, as the owner, I mean, I think for my mindset, it, it, it's kind of like this and um, it's a bit of a nihilist kind of approach, right? And I just look at it and go, look, I don't know what the hell happens after I die, after I pass away. Um, I think nothing because I've been not alive before mm-hmm. and I don't remember it. So, you know, who the hell knows? But we've got one life. And for me, this one life is so precious and I want to be spending a life doing stuff. And, you know, people talk about legacy, but man, stuff legacy. Like who's going to remember what the hell I've done after right. my grandkids? Like no one, right? There's people who've been, you know, absolutely changed the world and, all, all that happens is people talk about them passing. Like, who cares? Um, so for me, I don't care about legacy beyond having awesome kids, raising them right, spend the right time and quality with them, and then obviously by extension when I have them grandkids. Um, but that's the extent of legacy that I care about. So if I don't care about legacy beyond the next two generations, then for me it's like, well, wh- but knowing that I've got this one life and one shot to do some freaking amazing things, well, then why wouldn't I have the best life ever, right? Why wouldn't I fly first class everywhere? Why wouldn't I go to explore the entire world? Why wouldn't I network and hang out with people that I love and who are doing cool things and who are driven and that motivate me and want me to be better? Um, so for me, it's just kind of like, you know, to motivate myself, it's all about maximizing this one opportunity, one shot that we've been given that's fleeting. And that's, you know, every second that's going by, it's one second less that we've got in this existence. So why wouldn't I want to jam pack it for the the coolest stuff that I can do with the most amazing people I can surround myself with and just enjoy the ride. Um, So for me, that's my motivation. 
And, you know, to do that, obviously, you, you need money. Um, so yes. the money is a means to an end. It's a means to being able to network with the coolest people, being able to, you know, spend, take my family on cool experiences. And so for me, I can tie the, the business and the sales and all of that back to the ultimate goal of, hey, I want to go and take my family to the Maldives this year um, and do these experiences while we're there. What does that look like? So let's go and build that into my plans for the business this year. Brilliant. So, so uh, <laughs> just as you build your company out, uh, let me give you some advice on how to do that. Yes, please. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what happens is you've got a company, it's fairly successful, and then you're growing it, and then the consultants come in. And then it's like, okay, what are the values that we want for this company, and how do we define who we are? And you can go all across the world in companies and go in boardrooms, and you'll see on the wall, we are dedicated to the betterment of the environment, our employees, and our customers, and some other BS like that. And what we really Hmm. need to do is to get the essence of the owner what are the core values that are important to that human being and map those out to the company? Because then that person can be the authentic role model as opposed to trying to be something they're not. The criteria that they use Mm. for their values ends up what we reward our employees on. So if it is going above and beyond and an employee does that for a customer, the stories that we capture become uh, the folklore of the company and they take a concept and make it real. And the last thing I'll share Mm. with you is people will do more for each other than they'll do for you, the boss. If only we get Mm. the right belief system and the culture in the organization. And the best way to think about that is a simple piece of paper. I remember Mm. an experiment that we did when I was in uh, elementary school. We got a magnet, put it down, put a piece of paper on top of it. And we sprinkled iron filings on the piece of paper. And as soon as they hit the paper, they moved to the lines of flux. (laughs) So those iron filings are the behaviors and the attitudes of your employees. Mm. The paper is the company that you've built. And the magnet underneath is the culture that drives it. And what happens is if we don't have the right culture, we get a consultant that comes in and says, okay, stop doing this behavior. We're going to take this iron filing and move it over here. This is what we're doing now. This is a better way. But as soon as you let go, it slides back to where it used to be. So what we fundamentally need to do as owners of companies is realize that we're in the belief business. How do we identify the limiting Mm. beliefs in the organization? And how do we transform those? And if we get the magnet right, then we attract people to mm. our company that go, you know what? I'm never going to leave this place because I've found home. And it's not about the owner. It's about each other yep. and growing something freaking awesome. And when you do that, it allows you to focus on the three most important things that you should be focusing on. The first one is what it does is you should be focused on kick-ass amazing vision, which I know you got in spades. Two is building a kick-ass amazing culture that people will die to work at. And three is Mm. long-term shareholder value. And at some Mm. point, you need to step up to that position and get out of the day-to-day operations. And you can only do that when everybody else is committed and behaving in the way that they want. And I'll get off my sermon because I've got passion around this because I think it's like important (laughs) that we realize it's our personal beliefs and our organizational beliefs that build kick-ass amazing companies. You know what? That's that's. Awesome, and I think by by chance, I've I've lucked my way into having the first two. Um, so just to touch on that point, we do have in, in in our offices when we used to have the office and everyone used to go in on the wall as you go in. Our 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 slogan was "Do good shit for good companies and good people," and so that was the premise of everything that we only work with people with great products that change the world, and we go out of our way to dedicate ourselves to our clients because they're doing cool stuff, and so our impact. Is the impact we have on these businesses and we help them, you know, so we're exponentially having a great impact in the world by helping these great companies, right? So sorry for the swearing, we're an Australian company, so swearing is part of our DNA. It's, it's but normal, yeah. You know, Let's have a fosters. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like whenever anyone came in, it was just like, yeah. do good stuff for 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 great company like do good stuff for good companies and i think that's our motto and you know i think my team i've been lucky to have amazing team members we literally have not had anyone voluntarily leave the company in more than three years Mm. um because you know we're so dedicated to the work that and we see the work we're doing having such a big impact in the world but the last bit 
is definitely where it's missing um, with, with, you know, the shareholders coming in and being able to extract myself from all of that. But hey, we're, we're working on that. But I think your framework, I, I love your frameworks, Emma. Like they're, they're so cool. Um, so I'm going to take the one that we, you know, around vision. I'm going to take the one around, around you know, the, the company vision, the culture and the shareholders. Um, and it's definitely going to be something that we, we adapt in the near future. Brilliant. Just before we part company, what is one mind hack you'd like to share with our viewers, listeners that would allow them to be more productive, more efficient, happier, get better dates, whatever it is? Oh, I think um, knowing where you're at in the journey and what you need to motivate you. So what I mean by that is when I was str- like we struggled in the business for so long, like two and a half years, we you know barely made the payments on the house, all that kind of stuff. When I was going through that, I drove the crappiest car, you know, couldn't afford to eat out or do any of that kind of stuff. So every time I hopped into my car, I imagined myself driving a brand new Porsche, right? I'd imagine my mind getting in the color of the seatbelt. Um, you know, every time I had to fly economy on the cheapest airlines, I imagined I was in business class on the top airline in Australia. I put myself into the mental headspace where, you know, I, I was already successful. Um, that was my little hack. And I used to go out and um, during the day and just pretend like I've been given free reign to hang out and hang out at the beach because it was free. But pretend like, oh, my business works so well that I get to do this. Um, nice. So that was, yeah, when I was struggling, that really helped me get through a lot of the dark times um, in my mind, knowing that I had achieved already what I was working towards. And it was just a matter of time catching me up to where I was. Um, funnily enough, now that I've gone and, you know, um, bought the Porsche and done all this kind of stuff, traveling business class. For me, my mental hack now is peace of mind and not having mental baggage. So for me, it's actually offloading all of the stuff that I thought used to be cool and going back to um, just a simple car that I don't care where I live. I don't care if it gets dented or someone, a kid opens their car and dents my car. It's like, I don't need that. I've gone for the fancy stuff. I had my flex. Let's get rid of it and get me back to just like an ordinary Toyota that I can just live anywhere, get sand all over and take surfing and just not even care about. Um, and so that's my, so it went from having possessions to now for me, it's like minimalism and just being free to, to have experiences is it's my mental, mental goal right, right now. So I think it depends on where you are in the journey. Absolutely. And I think, uh, had you not dreamed the big dreams to get what you wanted to get, if you went, you know, I just want to do good work there's a good chance you would not have made it at the same level of success. So you use that carrot to get you where you needed to go. And now you don't need it. So you can go and build the next phase, which is more about being rather than doing. Will, hmm. a delightful conversation. 55 minutes went by like that, my friend. And uh, hopefully this is uh, the first of many conversations. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been amazing. I've learned so much from from you just in this conversation as well. So um, selfishly, thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming and that is the fastest way to get better results. 